Welcome to Third Fridays, the monthly legal talk show from Lois LLC featuring attorney Christian Cisan. This is the original forum in which real attorneys discuss workers' compensation issues, share their opinions, and engage in colorful conversations. This show showcases diverse perspectives of attorneys handling workers' comp cases, including case law trends, practical litigation strategies, and hot topics. Here's your host, Christian Cisan. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the May 2022 edition of the Third Fridays podcast. My name is Christian Cison, and, and today we have a really cool uh, edition because we have two attorneys talking about some recent developments uh, at the Appellate Division, the Court of Appeals, and also the state legislature. And then later in the show, we have two paralegals coming on to talk about a really cool fact pattern where uh, fraud is being discussed. So let's start with attorneys, uh, and I'll go to uh, Addison O'Donnell here as my first guest, mostly because you authored a practice pointer for our firm a couple of weeks ago, and you put an interesting quote in there. So maybe you could introduce guest number two, Addison. (laughs) Yes, yes. The quote was, focus on what the court did, not necessarily on what the court said. And that quote is attributed to Ian Haberstroh. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, guys. So we have a, a lot to talk about. And I think in discussing one thing, something else happened and then something else happened. And we're like, let's just pull it all together. Uh, so the first thing we're going to talk about is um, an appellate division uh, update with Johnson and Liuini. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Addison? I think I think that's the best. The best <laughs> that's the best that I can do. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we started talking about it, uh, Gambardella came out at the Court of Appeals level. And we said, let's just talk about Gambardella, right? And then uh, I had a wonderful client who asked me if I could talk about mental stress cases given an update at the state legislature. So we're going to get into a little bit of that uh, to uh, ob- obligate you know other people to say, hey, Christian, can you talk about stuff that I want to hear? And I was like, yeah, I thought I'd do that every month. But sure, I'll do that for you as well. So let's start with Johnson and Leoini. Uh, it, it kind of has to begin with an analysis of Jen Dusa, right? So uh, can you guys give our listeners uh, a brief overview of what Genduso meant? Sure. So Genduso stands for uh, the fact that a claimant cannot uh, enjoy double recovery of a schedule loss of use member. The claimant needs to deduct what the prior SLU was, the prior schedule, onto the current uh, the current award that's given. And this was an appellate division third department case that pretty much uh, made a lot of sense. Not a lot of people uh, thought that there were issues with this. It, it made sense because theoretically, one can't have more than a 100% SLU to the arm, for example, or the leg. And so when you're thinking about Gen Duso, the first thing that we have to think about is, you know, a claimant can't lose more than an entire arm. So it makes sense that if you have a 40% SLU to the arm awarded in a case, and in your prior case you had a 20% SLU to the arm, you deduct that prior 20% from your 40 to a net of uh, 20% SLU. Which kind of makes sense because uh, that 100% rating, it's like if it's not chopped off, then uh, you have some function in that arm, and you should never reach that just because you have new accents and get you know 20% ratings along the way. So Ian, 
in those types of cases, if we were to have them uh, in litigation, what would we do to make sure that a judge or a claimant's attorney is mindful of that uh, when considering exposure or, lit- or, or litigating that issue? Uh, well, obviously, we always do the ISO search, right, to find out if the claimant does have any prior claims. Uh, we ask the law judge also at hearings to do a uh, search for prior uh, claims. And then we do our own investigation, to determine whether or not the claimant does have a prior schedule loss of use uh, for the same body parts that are in question in the present case. Uh, and then uh, we can also have the claimant fill out OC-110As. Uh, we do our own investigation, obviously. And many times if, it, if a claimant has been with an employer for many years, we'll actually have hopefully the employer will have access to prior records uh, to determine you know, whether or not the claimant does in fact have prior claims with the same employer. Sometimes they don't, but typically we do our own investigation to determine That's actually funny because Ian works with a client where he's gotten used to saying, please provide us a list of all the prior claim numbers and it comes out that they have 18 prior oh, claims no. with the same employer <laughs> and uh, selling all of them at once is, is uh, you know, a hurdle in and of itself, but uh, it's, it's a good practice, right? To make sure that we know the history uh, before we lead to the present, right? So Genduso, straightforward, simple, then Johnson and Leoini come along. What are those cases about, Addison? Sure. So these cases went to the Court of Appeals, the highest court in the state of New York, which, you know, the the Court of Appeals only reviews one workers' compensation case a year, if that. Um, So at this point, both Johnson and Leowini dealt with a Genduso problem. And the idea was that, uh, of course, in Section 15, in order to receive an SLU award, it needs to be one of the extremities, one of the listed members, right? It says the arm, the leg, the hand. But what about the elbow? What about the shoulder? And Genduso has, you know, uh, bridged this logic. Genduso said, well, the elbow's the arm, the shoulder's the arm. Well, Johnson Leowini essentially, in my opinion, gutted Genduso because what the court said there was that if there is a compensable injury to the shoulder, which resulted in a subsequent SLU to the arm, and then the claimant has another case, injury to the shoulder, that results in a SLU to the arm, that you don't need to deduct as you were mandated to in Genduso for your second shoulder arm SLU. It, it contemplates subparts. They use the phrase subparts, which, I mean, I, I'm not necessarily a textualist, but if you go through the entirety of Section 15, the word subpart is not there at all. This is purely court interpretation. And so it actually throws a wrench in things because Genduso from 2018 until now, there's a whole plethora of cases where we've been applying the law and now all of a sudden the law is changed again. Right. Gen, Gen Duso was almost a, a term of art now in workers' company. You could say it, and, and most experienced practitioners know what it means. Judges, right? You say Gen Duso, and you don't have to really explain it. You know, you say it like almost like bocce, like people know what that means. Uh, American Axel, people know what that means. Gen Duso became part of our culture, and now it's being, uh, I don't want to say it's reversed because it's not, right? Without a question. Right. Well, yeah. because. The, the decision didn't actually say we are reversing Genduso, right? Well, focus on what the court 
did, not necessarily <laughs> what the court said. That's why I believe it's gutted. You know, they may say we're not overruling Gen Do So, but you don't have to deduct subsequent SLUs from your previous SLUs. I mean, that's that was the whole proposition of Gen Do So in the first place. Right. So, Ian, if, let's put yourself in the shoes of a claimant's attorney for the first time ever. I love this decision. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 I think I, I think I, that was too quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, do, do you not like what you do enough? No. Um, so you have a, let's say you have a 15% schedule to the elbow, yep. right? Uh, two years ago, and you hurt your shoulder, uh, same uh, side. So you then pursue uh, something post Johnson and Leo Weenie to get an additional 20%. What are you telling the claimant? What are you advising the claimant when he or she goes to the doctor or when he or she is testifying before a law judge to explain that, the elbow is different from the shoulder. Well, on a practical purpose, obviously, I think almost everybody would agree that the elbow is distinct from the shoulder, right? Uh, the claimant basically would have to go to their own doctor, indicate that he injured his shoulder as opposed to injuring his elbow, and that the shoulder injury was in no way related to the prior uh, elbow injury. And that would probably come out way before he even went to the doctor, right? He's going to fill out a C3. He's going to say he was lifting something and he felt pain in his shoulder, uh, makes no indication of any injury to the elbow. I think for a law judge's purposes, that's pretty clear cut. The judge is going to say this is a distinct injury to the, the shoulder. The claim would be now entitled to a potential SLU in the future uh, for the shoulder in addition to his prior SLU. For the elbow, and you not be able, to, and he would not have to deduct the prior SLU for the elbow, right? So this is this is a win-win yeah. for the claimant and claimant's attorney, right? So you have a fifty percent to the shoulder three yep. years ago, and now fifty percent to the elbow. Award me as if my arm has been chopped off, correct? Right, yep. amputated. Uh, so Addison, take us back to defense now. Uh, Ian, as a claimant's attorney for this brief moment, uh, is advising the claimant that way. What are we doing on the defense side to counter that? I mean, it's it, we live and die by the medical. Honestly, we need to uh, put the claimant to proofs. We, we have to, first of all, figure out if this prior injury was disclosed, because then we can raise a Section 114A defense pursuit to Calderon, uh, another third department case that addressed, you know, this Gen Duso, same site, non-disclosure nexus. Um, basically, we got to get the best IME we can possibly get. And at the same time, expedited subpoenas, get those ISO claim searches, get those medicals in front of a doctor. Because in order for our doctor to be competent and to comment, that's how we are going to you know, launch our first attack. Uh, and of course, the second attack is cross-examination of the claimant. Because if the claimant didn't disclose even to his own counsel that he had a prior SLU to the same site, well, then we have a Calderon 114A violation. That's interesting, too. When you say live and die by the medicals, because oftentimes, because we we lived in a Gen Duso world, if you had a shoulder injury and you found out that you had a comp claim for uh, the elbow or even the opposite shoulder, we might not pursue those records because it's not going to give you a Gen Duso application, That's right? The, the shoulder, the left shoulder is not going to give you a Gen Duso credit for the right shoulder. Mm -hmm. But if the claimant can prove that, you know, the elbow uh, slew is not going to be credited, right, in a post-Johnson and Leoini world, then maybe I want the subpoenaed records from a claim that might not necessarily be, like, 
point A to point B, right? Very obvious. But if they show contralateral range of motion, Mm-hmm. then maybe you have a different baseline, right. right? The things that we still do in our practice today where we look at old baselines to say, okay, your baseline is not 180 degrees. If you came to us with 150, your loss of motion is from 150 and not from 180. Maybe that's another way we can also attack lower slews because if I can't get a credit, then maybe I, well, I want more records to show, well, okay, fine, but there's a different way that your loss of use is measured. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's there are gems in, in medicals, right? The prior case might have an EMG and CV to the upper extremities, which show um, positive findings to, you know, the peroneal uh, nerve at the elbow, but also the nerve at the shoulder. I mean, that implies that there is some positive finding to the elbow way back when and vice versa. That's so, a great point. Right. If you can if find in those medicals that, you know, the elbow and shoulder aren't distinct. Right. Right. And you mentioned putting the claimant to his proofs so that the claimant, you know, meets that burden. We can dispute that meeting of the burden voluntarily by finding those records and the connection between the elbow and the shoulder in other medicals. Right. So Johnson and Leoini, yes, great for claimants. Right. Because what new law isn't? Well, most of them are. Uh but we have some strategies in place for them. We'll see how the how the board works it works it out because you know as Ian says, focus on what the court does and not what the court says. Right? We'll see how that plays out. In talking about those two cases, we were led to Gamberdella. Now, I I really like the approach that you guys have with this case because you're very like um, I don't want to say. Uh, no, meticulous. I think I would say meticulous about how this is going to be used. I'm going to take an opposite position because I think it's not as crazy, but I think it's good for for a reason debate here. So, um, who can who can give us like an outline about what Gambardella is uh, and, and how that is different from what uh, prior case law talked about? So obviously we had the Tahir the decision that came out and said essentially uh, if a client or only a, a couple of years old Tahir right uh, not less than five for sure 2020 maybe less than yeah. 19 a couple of years so go so ahead. that I believe that was a case where the claimant had re- returned to work uh, he was working as a driver and he had uh, injuries to his neck back and also schedulable sites uh, they went to the the court. They wanted to classify the claimant, um, but he also had SLU awards. The, the court turned around and said, um, "I believe it was at the so I guess it went to the third department. Yep. And the third department obviously uh, made this decision that the claimant would be entitled to schedule loss of use awards, even though we typically always argued for classification. Right? If the claimant had a permanent injury in the systemic area, in addition to having injuries to the scatterable sites, we always argued before Tahir that the claimant should be classified and not be entitled to a schedule loss of use award. Well, Tahir overturned that and basically said no, if the claimant uh, would not be classified on that date and he would be entitled to a schedule loss of use award, he can collect a schedule loss of use award. Right. Then. We have this new, the new decision, Gamardella, right? So this comes along and this expounds on it. And it gives it explicit uh, bases for claimants to pursue schedule loss of use awards. 
in the in the similar circumstances, right? If they have the neck back injuries and they also have uh, injuries to the extremities, then all of a sudden now Gambardella is saying a claimant can voluntarily retire uh, or he can fail to demonstrate labor market attachment at the time of classification in order to pursue a scheduled loss of use award as opposed to being classified. And why do we care about that? Because many times a claimant can be classified at a much lower rate than what his scheduled loss of use award would be. So a claimant, when they receive a scheduled loss of use award, they receive a lump sum payment as opposed to getting uh, weekly payments when they're classified, right? So from a carrier's perspective, obviously we don't wanna pay out $200,000 all at once when the claimant should really be collecting $500 a week, right? right. The, the claimant may go back to work, um, it's rare, but it does happen. And all of a sudden, a carrier has just lost a huge chunk of change immediately because of this Gambardella decision. Right. So uh, what is the mindset then of a claimant's attorney, Addison, right? When you're, 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 you, you see Gambardella, uh, how are you focusing on getting the best possible outcome for the claimant in this case? Right. And, and basically... Claimant's counsel has changed their mentality since Taher. Prior to Taher, I, I just need to underscore this in order to give an answer. Taher, basically prior to that, we picked one or the other. It's either SLU or LWEC. It's either classified or, you know, schedule. And so at this point now, both are layered, right? So now as a claimant's counsel, I would sit back, relax and say, okay, well, carrier is going to raise a labor market attachment defense, but that only goes as far as an LWEC check. It doesn't go for a schedule loss of use award. After all, there are hundreds, if not thousands of cases where claimants voluntarily retire, um, 35 plus years of work, get occupational disease uh, claims established due to repetitive use to the wrists, to the arms, to the legs, and get a large uh, SLU payout because of that. It's essentially a glorified one lump sum retirement fund. So no no cynicism there. But um, <laughs> but basically, as a claimant's counsel, I'm I'm doing the math and saying, are you going to be better off with an SLU award or an LWEC? And unfortunately, am I as claimant's counsel going to be better off come and bring home a larger check to my firm using the SLU route or the LWEC route? Right. So you're you're trying to figure out which one is going to be more valuable to the claimant, which is why I'm going to take, I don't want to say it's the opposite approach, but I, why I don't think it's such a drastic change is because if in Taher, you could receive two findings, but only one award, right? That still applies here, where if a claimant's going to choose to not pursue labor market attachment and then collect his slew award, right? He can then presumably reattach in the future after he gets his slew check and then pursue an LWEC award, but it would be credited by the slew. So that's why I think that it really hasn't changed that much from Taher, this Gambardella decision. I think this Gambardella decision just says, hey, you don't have to be savvy claimant's attorney and claimant. Here's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And it right? gives them explicit <laughs> authorization to do it. So as, as defense attorneys then, right, if we know that's how the claimants are going to strategize, I mean, we're taking almost the same considerations. We're just talking about less money instead of more, right? right. So can you describe a context 
uh, where we want to go for Elwick instead of Slu, and then Slu instead of Elwick, given Gamberdella. Well, obviously with Slu's, uh, if both sides doctors give high SLU awards, and let's just say this is, I'm not going to say it's common, but it's reasonable, right? You could have a claimant come in with 20% SLUs to both shoulders, 20% SLUs to both legs, and that's going to that's going to move a, quite a bit of money to the claimant, right? So we obviously want to avoid that. And unfortunately, what happens? Our IME also concedes high SLUs based on range of motion deficits. And let's say it's legitimate. Let's say that throughout the, the course of the case, the claimant has had deficits in range of motion, right? So we're not going to be able to argue fraud. Um, so we would obviously want to avoid these high SLU awards, right? We, we want to move towards classification, correct? But Gambardella basically is going to give the claimant an out and say, listen, even if he's even if he's being paid at a TP rate prior to the classification hearing, he can come up and he can show up at the hearing, say, I'm not attached. I'd like to get my SLU awards, you know, credit my my prior payments of whatever. Let's say he was out of work for one year and maybe it's. Well, what about this? Oh, let me just present a, an alternative theory to that. Right. If the slew awards are that high, what prevents a claimant from saying, no, I want to be attached, I'm attached, but I'm choosing the slew award. I want to be paid at once because they have that option, right? Well, then obviously we would litigate that and we say if you're if you're conceding that you're attached, then you're going to be paid at the at the classification rate and not at an SLU. You're not entitled to the SLU award, right? Because what does Gambardella say? It says here. Um, I think that's what we we'd be arguing, but I think that a claimant a claimant can still pick the slew award based on on Tahir and uh, subsequent progeny, right? Like they can choose the award and not necessarily the one that is linked to attachment, which is why I don't think Gambardella really changes things. It just gives a playbook. It, it does. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, if this basically would neuter our labor market attachment defense, right? That's such, that's such visual words. It, it's true, though. <laughs> like, we can't... Carriers have to have defenses, right? We're entitled to raise defenses. Defenses can't just be gutted, right? They can't just be negated uh, on the drop of a hat. So, you know, one way that I think would avoid all of this ambiguity is, which it's, in, you know, in my universe, this would happen... At the hearing prior to the trial set for permanency, at that point, the claimant would make the election for an SLU or an LWAC determination to be litigated at the subsequent hearing. Then we wouldn't have to go through this rigmarole of, well, what if he chooses this? What if he chooses that? Now, at the same time, right, a good carrier's counsel would be on his or her feet and say, I'm able to um, make the argument no matter which one of seven ways the claimant may decide at the hearing. But it gives a little bit more predictability and stability in my universe, right? Because then we can go to a client, then we can negotiate with claimant's counsel, then we can strategize the case. So at the end of the day, yeah, the claimant probably could pick the SLU over the LWAC because it is the claimant's election to do so. And Gambardella essentially galvanizes claimants to make that determination. 
Yeah, I think the only uh, the only situation where they would not be pursuing the SLUs is obviously if the prior payments exceed the SLU award, right. then they're going to put you know for classification or, or a if low it's slew exactly. and you have like a high L, right? Yes. Like you know, for example, you know, I have a neck injury and multiple surgeries on it because they failed, and now I can't do anything. Uh, and then I have this like hand injury also, and because I've been paid mostly because of the neck injury, even temporary disability, mm-hmm. the hand schedule is not going to give me a lot of money. So I'm going to say that I can't work ever again, yeah. right, right? And go for the 75% LWEC. So let's let's throw this out there, Christian. All right, what? Look, look at how excited he is. Already so excited for oh. this. How about this scenario? Okay. Claimant goes back to work at reduced earnings, causally related reduced earnings. Obviously, they've they've demonstrated that it is causally related, gets to the classification hearing, schedule loss of use awards would move a lot of money. We already know the claimant is working at causally related reduced earnings, and he decides to say at the hearing, Either one, he says, now I'm back to uh, full earnings, which he probably would have to demonstrate, or um, that his reduced earnings is no longer causally related to his his work injuries. What happens then if he's been being paid at reduced earnings all that entire time and we were paying him and relying on his representations that they were causally related, but now he's changing his story to try to get an SLU award? Right. So so the, the permanency awards are credited to each other. Right, so if I'm if I'm the claimant and I'm at reduced earnings, I always think I'd, I'd be the best claimant's attorney, <laughs> right? Because like you take my defense creativity and put it on the claimant side, I just Yikes. steamroll everybody. But uh, I'm working at reduced earnings. Yep. I'm not going to say that I'm working at full earnings or concede that that they're not causally related. I'm going to say I still have reduced earnings. Give me my slew check for $100,000 and then restart my reduced earnings after the $100,000 is credited towards the total LWEC award, right? So if I get an LWEC and then that LWEC with my reduced earnings rate would equal gross of $200,000, you pay me the $100,000 upfront. And then when week number X occurs where that would be the $100,000 and you know, one penny startup, that's when you start paying me the reduced earnings check to go to the LWEC classification and capped award. But you conceded to the judge that your reduced earnings was causally related, right? So that means that you have some type of permanent impairment that prevents you from working at full duty. And that is essentially a classification award. And you've already conceded to that. So why would you be entitled to an SLU award? Because Tahir says that I can pick. Tahir says that I can get two findings. I can get a 50% Elwick and a 40% slew. And that's why Gambardella doesn't change things for me. I think it just gives it, it gives our thought process and our creative minds to a claimant's attorney who's not thinking that way. Mm-hmm. A claimant's attorney is just most and, and hey, I'm not putting all of them down. There are definitely some very talented claimants attorneys. <laughs> I think the vast majority of them probably look at, let's do this math problem and that math problem and say, whichever one is better for you, you take it. Mm-hmm. But in that scenario, which is, I, I have to say, like I don't know if that scenario uh, has played out that often because pre-Gambardella and pre-Tahair, because you'd have to take yourself to a place creative-wise where you're going to make that argument. And now that Gambardella says you can do this this way, I think more people are going to try it. 
So the language here, right, it says, we recognize that a claimant could elect to voluntarily retire or otherwise fail to demonstrate labor market attachment at the time of classification and therefore create a condition necessary to receive an SLU award, right? So if you were receiving re reduced earnings, Right. They're saying, I'm, they're saying he can't get an LWEC award, so he has to get SLU. But when they say, oh, going to your textualist thing, when it says, we recognize the the concept or the, the, the hypothetical of that happening, means that it it could happen before this case. So I, I really think that you're going to have more situations like this because of Gambardella. Oh, they're going to, yeah. But not, but not because Gambardella is creating a new opportunity. It's just telling you something that you don't you may not have thought about right well you know if, if i may there's also a very interesting fact in gambardella the board at the third department is a party and is represented by the attorney general for the state of new york the honorable letitia james the board is arguing what a carrier would theoretically argue Say you know, saying that no, there's this is the wrong application of the law, and I find this very intriguing because it it basically illuminates as to what the board is thinking. At the last board uh, meeting, the board agreed to file a motion for reconsideration and for permission to leave to the court of appeals. I think that the workers' comp board is going to take it as far as as it can in order to get a result that it wants now. My question is, why Why does the board want to do that? So I think it's more out of resources than law, right? Mm -hmm. Because with this, like, playbook opening, mm -hmm. there is going to be so much litigation when this thing happens, when you have schedule plus non-schedule. Yeah. And, like, you're talking about predicting what the other side's going to do and then a judge is going to have to you know instead of saying well uh, well it's 40% versus 50% that's i just got to read a couple things and i'm good right you can't do that anymore when you pre when you're presented with a gambardella situation because you have to decide so many different issues you have to decide labor market attachment you have to decide causally related reduced earnings you have to decide classification and you have to decide slew whereas without a playbook saying that this is this could happen mm -hmm. then most people are going to pursue one easy route to resolve or to litigate adjudication and then you have your your deal so that's why i think the board's doing it yeah i the, it's all surmised but i think ultimately that the board doesn't want unhappy claimants i think claimants might look at gambardella and you know assuming sophisticated claimants right they might look at gambardella and say Oh my God, my counsel told me to do X, Y, and Z. And <laughs> I could have done A, B, and C instead and have gotten a bigger check. And I, I think that the board doesn't want to reopen cases that have already been gone. The board doesn't want to upset the governor. The board doesn't want to upset the people of the state of New York. So at the same time, you know, why, if the board is claimant friendly, then the board should open with open arms accept this. Right, but they're not, and and the it's not. It, the board is essentially fighting back and saying, no, this whole virtual banking, right? This was also discussed in the Arias versus NYCTA case at the third department, which happened after Taher, but before Gambardella, 
there's this issue with virtual banking, right? A claimant can pick and choose what he or she wants to get at the end of the day and bank non-schedule awards after getting an SLU. But as you've aptly noted, Christian, in the Taher footnote and in Gambardella, right, this is contemplated. Just deduct whatever that non-schedule award was to your SLU, and that's what the claimant would be entitled to, which would usually be you know, nothing. It would be an overpayment, essentially. Honestly, though, the board, after a bunch of these decisions come through, I think at the workers' comp hearing level, this is going to make things almost more efficient, right? Because I think there's there's going to be less pushback from a claimant's attorney. They're going to be like, no, I just just give me my schedule loss use awards. <laughs> and their counselor check. <laughs> right. So, I, uh, I mean, it'll be litigation from our perspective, but from a claimant's perspective... I, I think this makes it very easy and efficient for them, right? They just get to go. And that, that I agree with, yeah, yeah. right? Like, you, you know, when you give away the, the recipe for how the sausage is made, they're going to be requests for more sausage, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's certainly something to look at. Um, I think that uh, we can at least reasonably agree that uh, it's going to spot, inspire some change at, at the, the, the board level because there's going to be more uh, ideas being set forth about how to do this uh, and how to apply it best. Uh, but let's mo move on to uh, some statutory construction, right? So our third topic of the day was actually brought about by uh, a client of ours who, who asked a question to me uh, about a pending bill. Uh, and the bill had to do with mental stress claims. Because before this bill, you had to be a first responder to argue that uh, you don't have to prove that your mental stress claim puts you in a position that was not similarly situated with another person in your space. So you figure, uh, you know, your, your, your police officer, your firefighter, your, your emergency uh, responding uh, employees, they have such a heightened level of stress in their job that they shouldn't have to prove that I am more stressful than my cop partner buddy next to me, mm -hmm. right? If you have mental stress, you can just prove it in the normal way a compensation claim uh, is put forth. This bill uh, is designed to say, we're not making a distinction between whether you're a first responder or not. Any worker can do it. Now, I have some thoughts about it, but I'd, I'd like to see what you guys think. Obviously, it's another situation where it could benefit claimants, right? Uh, but explain uh, maybe what you see with this, guys. So just on looking at it on its face, this could potentially, and let's just point out, obviously, this is not past the assembly. So this is not law. Right. We're uh, not under the gun yet. But this would open up the floodgates to ridiculous claims. Um, this could basically turn any office worker, any employee saying that I have suffered some type of mental stress with my boss, um, with my coworkers. They can go and file a claim and or honestly, downstream. This or downstream. Becomes, I could say the person I'm supervising has caused me stress, mm -hmm. right? They're not doing their work on time. So this would obviously create a ridiculous amount of claims. As soon as this becomes common knowledge, uh, and obviously coworkers talk to one another, um, this could this could quickly spread and would become a very big problem, especially from a carriage perspective, because one, we all know that trying to disprove uh, stress claims, any type of psych claim is very difficult, right? There's no objective MRI test to confirm an actual injury. It is very subjective. And 
the likelihood would be that a claimant would be able to continue to um, receive benefits with very minimal medical proof of of same, right? Like we all know that psych doctors, treating psych doctors will gladly say this claimant has an ongoing psych disability. And what are they going to do? They're going to keep treating, they're going to keep billing, they're going to keep turning out the reports to say 100% disabled from, you know, somebody being yelled at at work and the claimant can't go back to work. That is a, that's a big problem, is it? Huh? Yeah. You know, I, I want to explain what the whole apparatus looks like in terms of Section 10.3. In order to understand... You what, said you're not a textualist, but I, I, I know, really I like know. the statutory background here. I it's like true. It. Well, in, in order to understand what 10.3 is, one has to understand what Section 2.7 is. Section 2, subsection 7 defines what a workers' compensation injury is, but it's also the um, definition of how... What is what can't be established, right? So it says that a stress injury cannot be established under Section 2.7 unless one can prove that the stress is greater than the normal stress enjoyed at work. Um, so that has been our friend, right? We can, whenever people would come into court and say, hey, judge, this is a mental stress injury. This is ANCR anxiety. We can say, no, we have, we have an employer witness what the anxiety uh, allegation pertains to to this event has nothing to do with um, you know and nothing to do with the claimants purporting it's the ordinary course of the day right so then you won't get ridiculous claims like oh I'm the supervisor and I'm really stressed out by managing my you know subordinates so the idea was that section 103 provided an exception to this section 27 rule and the exception was this. Police, firefighters, I believe, is it ambulance workers? It's all kinds of first responders. You know, they can't come to court and say, uh, you know, I, you know, I have an anxiety uh, claim, and the the board just says, no, you know, we can't, we can't do it because of section two seven. This is the exception to the rule. The idea is that if there's an emergency, right? If a if a responder or a cop is in the line of fire and sees. Uh, his or her partner gets shot, right? For and and now is alleging PTSD or anxiety. The board can't disallow the claim outright. The board will have to go through the ten three exception. So in terms of lingo, the, it's known as the ten three exception. I am appalled at at you know again the legislature is gutting ten three, neutering ten three only because right it's deleting the whole idea of a work related emergency. It's saying it's anybody at any work with any extraordinary stress, so long as that can be proven. And, you know, it, it, it saddens me because I feel like police officers, first responders, they sort of deserve this exception based on their line of work. And now they're saying that anybody who's afraid of anything in any way whatsoever can get a mental stress injury. So this is why I'm sort of shaken from the appellate perspective. It's... It's actually kind of putting that together, right? You talk about how easy it is for these psych doctors to put forth medicals that can't be disproven by objective evidence, right? There's no MRIs. I was actually on a client call with other panel firms uh, a few months ago, and, and I won't uh, uh, cite this uh, gentleman for it, because, but it's such a funny joke. I know it may not seem so 2022 politically correct, but you term these psych disabilities as like soft tissue of the mind, oh right? God. Because you can't you can't objectively disprove 
uh, you know, you know, like a like a, a pain threshold of of a claimant, similar to how you, you can't disprove, you know, that someone is stressed, right? And so, the typical workaround for claimants' attorneys would be to say, "Well, you have your orthopedic injury. Just go to see Doctor Rombaum in his office, <laughs> right? See what they have to I say." I thought you were you said we weren't saying names. Well, <laughs> so I mean, do, 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 doctors, I fine. fine. <laughs> yeah. So the. This this person, right, is then going to have a consequential major depressive disorder, right? Because like it, it, the way that that office operates, my, my, my problem with that is that they don't have reports that say he is not uh, having mental stress, right. not having anxiety, not having major depressive do- disorder. It's always something. And it's a very, very difficult burden for us to overcome once they've satisfied their minimal burden, right? But here's what I'm thinking about, right? You have an abject mental stress claim, right? Uh, Direct result of something that happened, right? It's not consequential. It's a direct mental stress claim. It's going to be easier for employers and carriers to do the whole deny pending investigation route. Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of judges, when cases are denied for orthopedic and neurological injuries, right, they go to us and they say, this looks pretty clear, Mr. Haberstrow. Why are you denying it? I'm considering a frivolous controversy penalty. I don't think you can do that with this because it's something that an employer can't see. Right. Right. Most of the time you, you don't see an employee having the mental stress that's manifested later on down the road or, or, or they're going to have to report it in a way where you can't even really investigate it, right? It's That's just what it is. So I think there's going to be a lot more claims that are denied pending investigation. And my thought process is here, and obviously case by case, you know, it's it's a full out investigation into this person's life, right? <laughs> you know, you talk about ISO reports, I mean, you might not have a lot of hits on those, but medical canvas, right? Uh, talking about social media like you if you file a mental stress claim you your social media is going to be checked it just because what they're going to do is present themselves in the worst possible light to a psych doctor and not present their facebook or instagram posts where they're just like yamming it up at their friend's (laughs) birthday party right so i think it's it's more of like it's like attacking it from all angles, right? We're not we're not waiting and waiting to see if the claimant comes comes back to work. I think it could be because it's so uh, speculative, almost from a person saying I have mental stress that we can't just simply hope that they stop anymore, right? A lot of times you do that for cost preservation, mm-hmm. right? Bring the person back to work. We're not fighting them in every case, but there's so much of a propensity here to just take this and run. And like you said, Addison, uh, you know, a police officer, a firefighter, they sign up for this stress. And before the the 10-3 exception, it was, well, you signed up for it, right? Assumption of the risk. And now, like, now you're mentioning, well, they kind of deserve it, right? Because their everyday stress is different from our everyday stress. Their stress every day has to deal with life and death. Ours is not life and death. So... There should be the distinction between the emergency first responders and the regular, you know, I don't say regular, but yeah. the the other average employee, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that do you think that defense strategy could work? Definitely. I, uh, what I would think for from a judge's perspective will probably be how credible our IME is compared to the treating doctor, right? Because we're gonna have a lot of circumstances where a 
claimant is alleging that they got yelled at and they develop stress. So then we're going to have to make sure that we have the, the proper IME who's going to actually go through the criteria for whatever uh, PFME condition is found, right? Anxiety, PTSD, major depressive disorder. And we want them to go through all the criteria and really do a, uh, a, a thorough analysis, which I feel like many IMEs do not always do. Uh, they will do their clinical interview if it goes to a psychiatrist. A psychologist usually does use a battery of tests, um, which maybe we want to push, you know, IMEs that uh, are psychologists as opposed to psychiatrists in certain circumstances, um, just so that they have to go through all the criteria to prove or disprove that this claimant actually has the, the condition that they've been diagnosed with by the treating doctor. And if we have a credible IME, then it's really going to come down to the, the judge will be like, well, this sounds unreasonable to me. I can't see you actually having a, a, an ongoing psych condition as a result of being yelled at. I'm going to find the uh, carrier's IME more credible. I'm going to disallow the case. Would that? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can, more see that. I can see that. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that happening. You'd have to really plan it out that way. But you're right. I, I don't think even with uh, an investigation into all these different facets of a claimant's life, you're not getting anywhere without that good IME is going to dispute it, right? right? You, you really do need that IME. I mean, I know sometimes we talk about cases where you don't want the IME. This seems like a, 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 we really need a medical doctor saying you either don't have it or yep. what you have is not related to Correct. what happened. Yes. And, and, you know, this is one of the good uh, reasons why we're now um, – uh, masters of the PTSD MTGs. Right? I was just going to bring that. That was great. The, the new, the new uh, PTSD MTGs directly refer to, cite, incorporate the DSM-5. And so, you know, I, I, you know, my cynicism is showing again. I hate PTSD cases because PTSD is reserved for, for you know, true stress, the truest and highest stress and anxiety. There are, there are, you know. Uh, veterans who come home and they can't even, you know, enjoy everyday life with their families because of PTSD. And so when I, whenever I see a case and it's like, oh, a box dropped and it was a loud boom and now I have PTSD, it, it like irks me because oh, yeah. is it truly PTSD or is it just retaliation against the employer for some reason? Or is it a claimant's counsel saying, oh, we'll just allege it. And now that doctors, uh, you know, of course, IMEs and treating doctors, but now that doctors have to be aware of the DSM-5, right? They have to be aware of PTSD and PTSD has several axes. I mean, I think there's four or five maybe six different boxes to check in order for a diagnosis for PTSD. And usually, yeah, it's the, it's the very first, I, I call it when I, whenever I do my cross-exam, the, the, the threshold criteria, right? Was there a serious injury uh, or threat of bodily harm? This is actually why I asked many times at depositions, was there any, you know, uh, was there any weapon involved, right? Was there any actual mm. threat of possible death mm. or were there any injuries suffered that could have caused death? And many times the treating doctors will be, they'll, they'll concede. There was, no joke, I've had two claims. I had one claim for PTSD as a result of slipping and falling in uh, ketchup or mustard. <laughs> it got established. <laughs> uh, not here. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> and I had another claim for PTSD that got disallowed, but it was from folding linens. I was... What? I'm not kidding. 
Well, see, that being disallowed gives us some hope. Yeah, you know? know, right? It's like it, it, there are there are ways that maybe maybe the judge is actually looking at like you, Addison, right? Like, wait, this is a diagnosis for veterans that come back from war from our first responders, and you're going to say that you're folding linens and you have PTSD. You're out. I'm sorry, you're out. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's it's um, you know. You know how you said earlier that you wish that you were a claimant's counsel for a day? So I didn't say you, I wish. So I said could, I'd be great. You could create, I said it'd be great. You could create as much chaos as possible. <laughs> I wish I were a claimant for a day. I oh. would be like, creating as much. I would allege all well, kinds of stuff. You with the, yeah, oh. the theatrics of it. This is bad. I actually would. Because <laughs> you would be you would be the claimant that I'll be on the sand. I'd be like, oh, oh. you know, like I can't. My tricks. No, He's going to know my tricks. I know. And I have to figure out a different way to, to out trick you. Because you you, no, you play the theatrics sur- surveillance of the me surveillance <laughs> right. me I'll be walking down the street throwing like my cane in the back of my car it'll be fine <laughs> right. no but you know it's it's just it just shows how ridiculous this ten three exception you know um, amendment is so you know to bring it back to the legislature at this point Ian noted that it's going to the the assembly the assembly it's in committee it's in the labor committee. So everyone's fighting over the language. If the Labor Committee adopts the language as is that the Senate adopted, then the law is passed. If, of course, the committee has different uh, ideas as to the language and revises it, it gets sent back to the Senate, and then we're from square one again. Once the Assembly votes yay on it, uh, it becomes law uh, as a matter of fact, rather as a matter of you know law itself. Um, Governor Hochul can sign it ceremonially, but you know for all intents and purposes, it's just waiting to be to be applied. And then you know at that point, then we're you know then we're in hot water. Then we got to figure out how how are we going to litigate this? And I think we have good ways to do it. I, th- I think we have good tools. Um, so yeah, yeah or nay, Ian? Does this version of the bill get signed into law? What do you think? Nay. Nay. Addison? Nay. I'm also going with nay. Nay. I think that this is a very, very scary thing and that it plays into it. I think there's going to be some type of revision at the very least, uh, but I'm confident actually in our legislature that this will not be the current version because there's going to be stakeholders on the side of the nay vote that we might actually fight in other arenas, right? right. Because implementation of the, this law or this bill as it is currently constructed will wreak havoc yeah. on the system. So, uh, you know, Addison, Ian, thank you for coming onto the show. Uh, it's been one of our longest attorney discussions ever uh, on the show. Uh, but we'll be right back with Pre Rana and Krista Karamanis with the Paralegal Minute, uh, where they're going to talk about a fraud case involving a claimant who golfs so often that makes me feel even more bad about my skills. So we'll be right back. back uh, with the second edition of the Paralegal Minute, because it's been a minute, and I have two new guests on the show, uh, Pre-Rana and Krista Karamanis. Like, welcome, guys. Are you happy to be here? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so forceful. Like, definitely, <laughs> definitely not a, a practice yes. We were talking about this right before we came on and, like, playing back whatever we, we record and I said, oh, I hate listening 
to my own voice. So, like, what, what did you say? Are that? you sure about that? I, was, I actually thought that was real. Like, I, I was like, I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really not yeah, sure. Yeah. I didn't realize you were just clowning me because you love, you love to talk. talk. Yeah. I love to talk. Uh, yeah, I love myself. And I love to talk. Uh, if you don't love yourself, who will? Just a little, little tidbit really take true. away from everybody. Um, so the paralegal minute is something that we just started last month, as you guys know. And it's kind of an insight into these crazy fact patterns that we get in our cases. Because not everything's like a slip and fall. Not everything is, you know, a really drastic accident. Some of them are so mind boggling that it actually would make sense for other people outside of our world to believe that we're doing the right thing. We're fighting a good fight, right? Have you guys ever told friends and family of what you do and have them come back to say like oh you're representing the the insurance companies or the employers oh yeah all the time all the time and always like, the bad guys right yeah like, think like we're the worst people in the world and like these are the types of cases that make people think oh you know what they're not so bad right so last month we had morgan celentano and emily Dillon and smoke talk about this guy that was a drug mule and that he was arrested, uh, so he couldn't appear for his hearing, and his benefits were suspended. Now, I know as loyal listeners of the show uh, and <laughs> friends of Morgan and Emily, you guys listened to at least that segment. Uh, what did you think about that, like, claimant being a drug mule? Do you guys ever, like, talk to them after that they found that out or Morgan's case when it first occurred? No, it was, like, insane to, like, hear that, like, someone couldn't appear for another claim because they were arrested for something else <laughs> right right it's like i can't appear because uh you know maybe i'm sick or i have covid that's yeah, like your run like of the mill like excuses you're, no no I'm, I'm, i was arrested for uh being a drug mule i actually think after that podcast we got into that whole spiral with um if you're doing something illegal how do you report to your employer you yeah. got injured oh about um yeah if you were Selling like, drugs wow. and you got injured at work, but you're technically doing something illegal. Would you report it? Right. Like uh, a coworker of ours who shall remain nameless got into a car. Like, I guess he went on vacation and he came back and his car got dinged up. Yeah. And we were thinking about how, well, what if the person was drunk, right? They're not going to call the cops yeah. and yeah, say, come exactly. to the scene yeah. now. But we realized he filed his own police report to mm -hmm. let our coworker know that his car was hit like what a good Samaritan that person was no one would have ever found that out have we veered enough off topic though yeah, yeah. pre like you had a case that uh wasn't a drug mule but uh this guy's a little shady so oh yeah 100 there were some pretty sketchy things so he... what what happened in your case like what 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 starts us off here with the wheels turning okay so we have this one case where the guy, you know, he's been treating with the same provider for like almost 15 years um, and he gets injured, um, you know, while he was moving like boxes, mind you, right? boxes of like kitten litter on a dolly and all of a Tough sudden- Tough job. His, yeah, absolutely. He was a doorman too. Um, <laughs> and- all of a sudden, his treating doctors. We also love Dorman. That wasn't yeah. a comment. On <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. They <laughs> but, shout out to them. But <laughs> anyway, they well, his treating doctor kept putting him at totally disabled, and 
all of a sudden we come across this one interesting thing um, after this hearing where the treating doctor is like, oh, yeah, he's allowed to play golf out of everything that, you know. So, like, that was that the thing that alerted everybody? Like, he's allowed to play golf? Um, kind of. So we, okay, so he had, like, a independent medical examination where, like, you know, even our IME found him at, like, totally disabled. Oh. Which was, like, crazy. Because, you know, usually our IME, like, unless it's, like, super serious, they don't have them as, like, totally disabled. Yeah. So we had the adjusters, like, get surveillance on him. And we found him doing, like, crazy things. And, like, we actually, like, have video surveillance of him, like, playing golf and, like, you know, driving around in his golf cart and, like, <laughs> lifting clubs. And, yeah, so we raised that. So that was before the note, That was right? before the note, So, yeah. like, they got surveillance because of something else, right? Yeah, they something... got surveillance because they were suspicious. They were like, oh, why is there treating – I mean, why is there IME, like, finding him at totally disabled? Like, there should be something. It's just, like, a – yeah. Minor, like low, in, like low back injury. Yeah. So what's like because you know a lot of our clients get surveillance and it doesn't turn up anything, right? Yeah. They just find them sitting at home or like walking the dog, nothing too crazy. What like you mentioned him playing golf? Like what exactly? Like was there anything else? Like where what did they have him doing in, at the golf course? Was it just like they actually catch him playing? Or... They, like, had him, like, driving the car and, like, bending down at his waist level. And, like, you know, with someone with, like, a back injury, like, that's kind of hard to do. And, like, especially – and then they also caught him, like, lifting the golf bags. And, like, I'm sure, like, most people are aware that, like, golf clubs, like, weigh, like, a lot. They're pretty heavy, so, especially with the bag. Yeah, yeah, especially for, like, an elderly gentleman. It's kind of – he's in his 70s too, mind you. So, oh. Yeah. So like you would think that, like, oh, he would have some trouble with that. But no, he was perfectly fine. Huh. So, like, what do we do with it? Like, what happened next? Like, what? Okay. So then at the hearing, um, we raised fraud, you know, to let the judge know that, like, hey, like, you know, we have surveillance on this guy. And, like, we caught him doing all this. So then after that, the hearing, you know, next hearing was scheduled. Um, literally a week and a half later, treating doctor files a medical note with the board saying that like oh yeah you know he's like he can return to work at like in like a light duty position and like um he's allowed to like you know do like activities specifically he's allowed to play golf golf. yeah such a random yeah i know like out of all the things that like he could do like golf is like the one thing that playing golf is like the one thing that he specifies do you guys think that, like, when the doctor says that, it's, like, almost like the claimant knows what yeah. we know at that point? Oh, yeah. I mean, claimant had to have requested or something mentioned, hey, I play golf, like, let me play golf. Yeah. That's the funny thing that happens, like, you know, like, before virtual hearings, mm-hmm. right? When we go in and raise fraud, claimant's attorneys would take their claimant out of the room and say, like, tell me what ha- what they have. Yeah, what tell have me you what you doing, know. Right? And here, I guess, like, that conversation happens over the phone or through emails that, you know, you don't actually see it happening. And I guess that manifested itself in the doctor saying, well, oh, you know, yeah, 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 he could play golf. Yeah. Play well, golf. I, I think when we talked about this case, you mentioned a pretty sketchy part also at the deposition um, when 
Vandana asked him about the note specifically, and he said, "Oh, it was gen- it was generated. It was like an yeah, auto- it was generated. an automated generated note. So yeah. he was like someone who figured generated by who? The claimant? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had no idea. So like, okay, so Vandana Saunders, our uh, our attorney here, uh, she asks a question on deposition of this doctor to ask about this like fortuitous note." That allows him to play golf, like, and what, like, what's her intention? I guess she's trying to get him to admit that this was just some kind of fabrication, and he just, like, this is an auto-generated note. What does that even mean? All he said was that, yeah, I'm not sure where I got this note from. It was just maybe someone in my office like wrote it and like filed it, or like, yeah, he basically like said that. Like, maybe the claimant's attorney? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his signature's on there. So. <laughs> that's that's wild. Okay, so we have surveillance. Like, we caught you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We f- we file for fraud. The claimant freaks out. Get his, gets his doctor to um, file an amended note. And is, do we have, we have a fraud trial, I'm assuming, where he yeah, testifies? Had, yeah, he did. And... One of the crazy things that happened <laughs> during his testimony is that he basically said that, oh, yeah, you know, I, like, play golf and, like, you know, before, like, even, like, the hearing happened, like, you know, the initial hearing where we, like, raised fraud happened, he was like, oh, yeah, during, like, you know, the week of April, I was, like, playing golf, like, this many times a week, like, I guess, like, he said, like, a few times during the week, and he played, like, 18 holes in, like, three and a half hours, like, you know, <laughs> do you think, like... Is that like is that a long time? Well, like, you, especially for like like when you were talking about it, you were you were just like that's pretty quick, right? Like, you, I you, you said it was too long. Was you said it was too long. long. I don't yeah, know we thought it was too long. So, so I like, was like eighteen holes for three and a half hours. Don't you just yeah? Everyone that's yeah. watching Chris is Chris just like <laughs> don't you just and then a swinging <laughs> motion, a swinging yeah, motion. I'm like 10, 15 minutes. You're out of there. <laughs> right, you're done. Yeah, you're just easy. done. Like I've played mini golf before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like so, when you're thinking that it's too that it's short, does that make him more disabled or less disabled? Wouldn't that make less? Less, right? Because like, he's yeah. like doing all these things. Even like during um, the treating doctor's testimony, he's like, "Yeah, he's a healthy, fit guy." Like, yeah. It's like. <laughs> And go back to work. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. you can go back to work and like play golf all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh my god. So then why are you saying exactly why? This is what you mean. A healthy, yeah. thick guy all of a sudden. It's like this guy can play golf twice a week. Something I would love to be able to do, but you know, no, I'm here working. <laughs> right? You should be too. So, um, he testifies to playing golf for three and a half hours. I guess you know, just an admission of my own uh, golf failures. I have never been able to play 18 holes in three and a half hours. So he must be a great golfer, which I would actually agree with you saying like, oh, well, you're less disabled. You should ask him. I mean, if he teaches you some, oh, yeah. I need, I need some tips. A little fraud trap, like more. Just like, hi, um, I'm really bad at something that you're good at. Yeah, please help. <laughs> so he testifies that he plays for three and a half hours and... Uh, so a couple times a week too. A couple times. A so week. that's like what if you say that it's like if it takes you like four and a half hours, like four hours to like play that many holes, like wouldn't that mean that like he's spending like I don't know, four <laughs> times sixteen, sixty <laughs> four. Yeah, yeah, like that Is many that? hours per Four-tons. week. Yeah, sixty four. Like, that would you also think that like he's thinking for him to say that means that he thinks that that's okay. 
right? Yeah. Because like if you think that that's going to hurt you, you're going to be like, no, I don't play that much. Yeah, but he also right? says to like, oh, but don't worry, don't unload my clubs from the car. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't it, unload my clubs. Yeah, from like the I car. usually have someone help me with that, exactly. but yeah. you don't. Who? Like that's the easy part. Isn't <laughs> the easy part maybe getting the clubs out of the right. car? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like, playing for three and a half hours. I mean, I. I mean. I see sometimes like old people when they like get it in the hole, like they have to bend down to like yeah. put their hands by their feet to yeah. grab the ball. Like that's like probably the hardest thing to do yeah. is someone who can't or who has problems bending. So like what, what happened? Did we win? I'm asking because um, I already know the answer. <laughs> no, to make we sound unfortunately have to do an appeal because at the last year, like the most recent hearing, um, you know, Bandon gave summations about like raising fraud and everything. Um, we told them that like, hey, this doctor, like the treating doctor. Oh, another interesting thing: treating doctor like dodged us like four times. So we had like four back-to-back hearings where like the treating doctor. We had to tell the judge that like, hey, treating doctor never pre- appeared at our depo date. So can you give us an extension? And thankfully he did. But so he finally showed up after like like just being scared. Yeah. And then he, like, basically admitted to everything. And then all of a sudden, the judge is just like, oh, yeah, no, we can't raise fraud. There wasn't enough, like, misinterpretation. Like, like there wasn't enough. Yeah. At that point, like, fraud. what do you there, have to do? Like, what, what do, you, do yeah. you have to do to show that, like, you're just lying or being just, you know, omitting something, like, from that, right? Like, what, what do you have to do to, like, get a fraud finding from this judge? Be like, ah. Oh, you know, so you're 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 hanging out, playing a sport yeah. for seven hours a week, not working, but your doctor says they can't work, and now miraculously says that you can after they raise fraud. What do you have to do at that point? I don't know. You know what's another crazy thing? He also has a caregiver, so like he has a counsel out in hand. Did the caregiver uh, come to golf with them? I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> and, oh. Apparently, at one of the hearings, when he testified, the care... Okay, so at one of the hearings, Clement's counsel, like, didn't appear. So Wait, the care- what? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. So then... Can you he- imagine, like, the, I guess, the fear if one of our attorneys just missed a hearing? Oh, my God. <laughs> what? No. But the caregiver took over. Yeah, oh, the, the caregiver. Yeah. She's the like, caregiver I got this. Was, right. Yeah. He I'll, I'll be your attorney. <laughs> Literally. I don't even know why I made that mess. Like, is that, the, the, I don't know what I was trying to prove there. Like, um, you know, oh. he's a caregiver. He's probably older than you, Christian. Okay. Uh, you, <laughs> so, okay, yeah. I'll remember that for the next time I try yeah. to impersonate Yeah, just use your person, own voice. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. All right. Just so then the, this caregiver, I'm just getting back to it. This caregiver, like, appeared on behalf of the council... You know, saying all these things that like, oh, yeah, you know, Clement like does this and like, you know, he's like playing and like engaging. And then uh, all of a sudden the judge is like, yeah, no, you can't say anything on behalf of the claimant. Wow. That's such a little crazy thing. Also, yeah. if you're the caregiver, you must really be invested in this yeah. person, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm going to testify, testify for, for yeah, you uh, under oath and potentially <laughs> commit perjury. Like why? It's just uh Props to that caregiver. You know, yeah. sometimes you just need someone in your life like that. Yeah. So we lost uh, and we're appealing. But ultimately, I think like that's it's a, a pretty strong appeal. Like yeah. we have a lot of things I against love, this I love guy. the confidence. Yeah. I love I'll, the confidence. No, 100%. 
Like, it's a strong case. I love it. No, it's literally four and a half pages of, like, facts. So... Four and a half pages the of The judge that ends up reading this, you better approve it. Three yeah. and a half yeah. hours of golf. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Three and a half One page for every hour exactly. of golf that you do. Oh, my Lord. Just like the idea that you think that what we do is so bad, right? I mean, our adversaries, like, you know, make try to make your lives and my life, like, just trouble when we tr- just try to do our job. And this is the stuff that we find that I think maybe, I don't want to say puts them in their place, but it gets to the point of saying, like, look, like, something's something's weird going here. I think when you can't go back to work after a certain amount of time, it's like, what are you doing, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I hope this guy has... Uh, you know, I guess a good summer. I hope he gets out there more, <laughs> right? I guess, I guess if his doctor says he can play now, maybe he'll go out for like 14 hours, 20 hours yeah. a week. I mean, pretty sure he's like probably he's collecting released. their retirement nope, money. No oh, work yeah. golf. Yeah. I've got yeah. the approval. I've got the approval. I can't, can't work. Can't work, but I can, I can play, play golf. golf. Yeah. And I'll just set up whoever this mystery person is that's going to lug bags out of my car. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. that's following him around. Okay. Well, uh, I, I'd like this case just because it demonstrates uh, some of the interesting fact patterns that we get on a day-to-day basis. It's not every day you get this kind of uh, case, but they happen. And for our clients, keep trying with covert surveillance. The weird thing is the claimants and claimants attorneys, they know this stuff is happening, but they can't stop like a claimant from making this decision sometimes. So like... Don't feel that uh, you should not get it due to cost. Like, think about the big picture here. Um, any other takeaways that you guys have? You know, yeah. Other than sometimes the claimants just go off the rails. You know, can't do much yeah. about it. I was actually telling Pre about this case. We have a very similar one. That's not. We didn't have a hearing yet for it, but um, our IME was finding him seventy five percent. And then we got surveillance, and he was at Planet Fitness for ninety-two <laughs> minutes. Yeah, well, ninety-two he, like, lifting, minutes. Like, weights, lifting like... weights, doing sit-ups. He was actually running on the treadmill, forward, sideways, and backwards. Backwards <laughs> and, and like s- plates that were more than twenty-five, right? Yeah, that's the kind just... of thing. It's like, well, it's like I can't even do that. Yeah. So and like, if I'm not I disabled, I literally can't right. even do that. Right. For ninety-two minutes. Ninety-two too, minutes. A long time to be at the gym. Good investigator there like, too. I mean, yeah, so give him like a restri- uh, lifting restriction or whatever. Um, I think he was telling the IME doctor like I can only lift like ten pounds. I can't do this. I can't do that. But it's almost like we're planting he, the seeds for a future episode. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like adds a little bit on me. I gotta like convince you guys to come back. Hopefully, uh, this turns out well, right? Like, I think that uh, this stuff is exactly what. Uh, makes the engine run. So I want to thank you guys for coming on. Um, thank you also to Ian Haberstroh and Addison O'Donnell for their segment uh, regarding a recent appellate division case and how it affects our clients on permanency. So for uh, pre-Rana, Krista Karamanis, Ian Haberstroh, Addison O'Donnell, this is Christian Cisan reminding you to defend from day one. <laughs>